You're listening to Positively Mental, sponsored by Fremont Counseling. Call Fremont Counseling to confirm the dates and times for open access evaluations, and then simply show up during those times. On a first-come, first-served basis, Fremont Counseling will begin an assessment of your mental health and determine next steps. You can call Fremont Counseling in Lander at 332-2231 or Riverton at 856-6587 or look up their information at fremontcounseling.com. Exploring mental health and the human mind one episode at a time. This is the Positively Mental Podcast. From the Porter's 10Cast Studio, here's professional counselor Lance Godey. Welcome, everyone. I'm Lance Godey here in the Porter's 10Cast Studio, and today we are going to talk about getting out and enjoying our Wyoming outdoors in support of our mental health. But it's not just Wyoming. Anywhere you are listening, there are opportunities for you to get outside and enjoy the outdoor world around you. A few podcasts ago, we talked about seasonal affective disorder and the effects it can have on our mental and physical health. But I wanted to dive a little deeper into this, especially as we continue to live in what feels like our eternal winter here in Wyoming. I think it's appropriate uh, as it snowed again, again, and again, and again today. So two ways uh, that can be especially uplifting to our mental health is going hunting or fishing, let alone just getting out and exploring the countryside around us. I want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, Researchers at the University of Utah in Salt Lake uh, have found that there are significant mental health benefits to be gained from participating in outdoor activities. Their systematic review of the existing literature on the mental health benefits of nature-based recreation recently published in the Journal of Leisure Research, confirmed that spending time outdoors and especially participating in outdoor activities can lead to a variety of positive mental health outcomes, which is exactly what we're talking about today. So more than 80% of the relevant research papers reviewed for this study reported at least one association between outdoor activities and positive mental health outcomes, while none reported a single negative mental health outcome. The most common positive benefits seen were significant reductions in stress and anxiety after time spent in nature, as well as increased positive affect or even an elevated mood. The overall positive effects documented in these studies were often described using terms such as psychological healing, increased sense of well-being, and restorative. Overall, the study authors found that nature-based recreation has a strong potential to improve mental health outcomes in areas of general well-being, resilience, restoration, and cognition, with some potential for decreasing symptoms of anxiety, stress, and mild depression. So, focusing more so on hunting and fishing, more prominent psychologists of the 20th century agreed hunting is motivated by a natural instinct, and it's beneficial to mental health. In his highly acclaimed study of human aggression called The Anatomy of Human Destructiveness, wow, that's a great uh, title, the psychologist Eric Fromm wrote, in the act of hunting, the hunter 
returns to their natural state, becomes one with the animal, and is freed from the burden of his existential split to be part of nature and to transcend it by virtue of his consciousness. In stalking the animal, he and the animal become equals, even though man eventually shows his superiority by use of his weapons. Deep stuff there, guys. Deep stuff. So, consistent with Fromm, Yale sociologist Dr. Stephen Keller and uh, a Amherst College professor, Jan Dizzard, uh, found the reasons why people hunt are to experience nature as a participant, to feel an intimate, sensuous connection to a place, and to take responsibility for one's food, as well as to acknowledge kinship with wildlife. But what about fishing? Well, I read one article and it said, fishing is the cure for everything. Fishing heals all wounds. Sad? Get on a boat. Stressed? Wet a line. Girlfriend dump you? Let those tears fall right into the water. So according to another study, specifically found that daily exposure to nature can, among other things, help reduce feelings of stress and even improve your self-esteem for up to seven hours after the event. Think about that for a second. If you go fishing, you think you're cool. Proven by bioscience. So fishing has even been proven to be more effective than hiking, camping, or biking as a mental health aid, making it the leader of all outdoor hobbies for mental wellness. So the moral of the story, fishing is just the best and can cure literally anything. So I have two very special guests that can speak to the hunting and fishing aspect of improved mental health, maybe even some of the other positive aspects of outdoor living. It's the co-hosts of the 10Cast podcast, Radcast Outdoors, Patrick Edwards and David Merrill, and that is a lot of casts, I realize that. <laughs> but welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Hey, glad to be here. <laughs> So uh, I'm excited about this crossover episode. Uh, I have a few of the other podcasts have had some some crossover crossover episodes. This is my first, uh, but I'm also a hunter and a fisherman, and we all like to hang out and tell stories about our experiences. Wouldn't you guys agree? Uh, maybe, possibly, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty much what we do on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think man has sat around campfires and told stories of the biggest fish or the, mm -hmm. the scariest hunt for, you know, eons. Eons, absolutely, absolutely. So, David, you are more of the hunter on Radcast. Share with our listeners why, why is hunting a mentally healthy activity for you? Well, I mean, I, I want to caveat that with you know, it's, it's not a hobby for me, right? It's now to the point of I'll start as soon as we get over this little bit of seasonal affective disorder that, yeah. you know, I moved from Alaska to get away from this. And yeah. it seems like every year, a little bit longer, we got more snow and I'm itching and ready to go, uh, go get out and start shooting my bow. But exactly. to, to set that up, I'm starting shooting my bow in the spring to possibly take one shot in the fall. And I'm going to shoot my bow. And for me, I gravitated from rifle. And my dad took me fishing all the time as a kid. And I think that's the reason that I hunt more now than I... And I still enjoy fishing. Don't don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. if, if I had to pick, it would be archery elk in September. And that's, that's it. Right. But 
with that goal in mind, I start, you know, tuning my equipment, reviewing my gear, start planning my season in January for September. And so that creates a little bit of a, once September's over every year, it's kind of like the after Christmas feeling when you're a kid of, oh man, I got to wait a whole nother year. It's, there's a little <laughs> bit of seasonal depression that goes on exactly, with that. Exactly. But when you, when you start building towards a goal and you start, you know, really dedicating yourself and getting out there and saying, hey, I'm going to start practicing with my bow in January to make one shot in September, you know, that you, you now get a whole lifestyle style and mindset built around that, right? And you start going, okay, I'm going to eat healthy. And after the harvest, people come over, I'm like, hey, let's try some backstrap on the barbecue grill because I spent all season trying to procure this. And now that I've got it, it, it's not just the hunt or the harvest or the kill or the archery. It's this encompassing lifestyle. Once you pick up the mystical flight of the perfect arrow is what I call it, right? I'm always chasing. And sometimes you get close and then you don't shoot well the next week, right? Or you kind of have a extra chocolate chip cookie or, you know, and so there's life gets wrapped up in you're chasing kids and school and all this stuff. But for me, for archery, when I pull that bow back and I'm focused on the target, you can't be worried about the mortgage. You can't be worried about the, you know, the stress of the upcoming you know, whatever might be pressured, you know, if you've got a deadline at work or you've got something with school or you, everything kind of melts away the whole world. And it's like you see in the movies where the clock, you know, tick, tick, tick. And it just, you're in between those, those seconds and you're really just, you're rooted in the moment. And it's as, it's as close as you can get to being, I mean, free, free. (laughs) Some people spend hours and hours and hours of meditation, but archery, and I'll caveat this with, if I go to the rifle range and go, we go shoot rifles and whether we're shooting 22s at 50 yards and plinking, or we're taking the big boys out and shooting eight, 900 yards away after that, I'm agitated, right? I'm, it's a very, it's noisy. It's, it's not calming or relaxing. It's fun, but I'm, I'm more animated after I go shoot rifles. It, it's, it's very transversely different with archery. After you go shoot three, five, 10, 15, 30 shots, you're very calm, very relaxed, because it's the same thing as sitting down and <laughs> meditating for a half hour, right, right? Right. So this, when you put all these pieces together, it's not just one little facet. It's it's a whole encompassing lifestyle. Right, right. And and I, I think interesting that early on you were describing, really it's a year-long, it's a year-round process, is that you may have one shot in September, but it starts the day after that last shot, like, I mean, whether it's replaying and then practicing and getting ready for the next season, I, you know, we all, uh, in hunting and fishing, try to figure out how to take this activity and make it a year round activity. And it, it, it is with fishing or hunting, you know, I'll, I'll caveat and speak to the hunting, you know, yes, September elk's done, but there's shed hunting in the spring. You can spend winter months either going to feed grounds or doing YouTube as far as how to increase your skills there's indoor archery and you can expand to bow fishing and coyote hunting and 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 you could literally be just out i've got you know several targets in the backyard and i shoot almost almost every evening i'd love to shoot more but right you know and the same thing goes i'll let patrick speak a little more about it but fishing okay the water's frozen we're on the ice the water's liquid (laughs) we're in the boat right? right so you don't have to say that oh it's just september but for me 
that that's the big leagues. That's the that's the Super Bowl, if you will, and everything sure. is all geared towards getting that ready. And even last week, I really enjoyed. I took my horses into an arena, and I got horses because I'm getting a little more round in shape and a little. I'm getting wise and old. Yes. <laughs> and I take my horses to the mountain, and yeah. and they pack the elk meat. I'm not doing that anymore. Right. But you know, I've got some relatively uh, oh greener horses, I guess you could say. And just because I don't have the uh, bank account to go buy, you know, finished, finished nice, horses. fancy horses. Right. But I really had some good connection moments with the horse in the arena this last week. And I kind of used to make fun of people that are arena riding, right? Here I am, this mountain man, horse man, that we, we go take horses where they're meant to be, not ride around in a perfectly manicured little area and say, oh, yeah, look at us and pat ourselves on the back. But that's a really great place to take a horse and to work on your horsemanship skills and to, you know, really build that bond and connection where you're in a pretty safe regulated area where you're not dealing with other people, vehicles, wildlife, logs, sticks, you know, it's, it's a good place to start. And it was awesome to just break out of my routine, load the horses up, go to the arena, unload them and have that physical outdoor exercise moment, but I was indoors. You bet. And we could probably spend an entire session and, and there's entire therapies out there on equine therapy on, on the benefits and getting connected with horses. They're extremely attuned to human um, behavior, human in, uh, emotion. So, but we'll save that for well, another time. I, I'll caveat that. It's also the easiest and quickest way to ruin an elk hunt yeah. is the horse. I yeah. mean, you, all he's got to do is step on your toe and you're yeah. pretty much done. Yeah, yep, exactly. So, Patrick, as the fisherman on Radcast, tell us about fishing and what it does for your mental health. I think for me what it does is it gets me away from all the screens, distractions, noise, just all the stuff that we're surrounded with. Um, and it doesn't matter whether it's daytime or nighttime for me. I, I like both, and I'll kind of go through why I like both, but... When you're fishing, at least for me, I go into a different state of mind as well because I'm I'm trying to feel what's happening, you know, wherever my lure is. It could be a fly, it could be a a jig, it could be a crankbait, it doesn't matter. I'm always trying to feel or see or perceive what's going on so that I don't miss that moment where the fish takes whatever it is that I'm presenting. So I'm always kind of in a kind of a focused frame of mind. Um But I would say for me, that's one good thing because, I mean, everybody has stress, you know, whether it be work or family, finances, you know, we talk about that kind of stuff. I mean, everybody's got it. So the nice thing about fishing is you don't have to think about that stuff. You can enjoy your surroundings right here. We have a lot of great places to go. The Wind River Canyon being one of my favorites because you have the canyon walls, you've got the running water, and you've got really nice fish that you can catch. And so whether I'm there during the day and, you know, see bighorn sheep, you know, or deer, muskrats, fish, hopefully, um, or I'm fishing at night and I have the Milky Way galaxy in all its glory above my head that I can see perfectly. I mean, that's something that's really hard to describe to somebody who's never seen that, but that is so good for your soul. And I, I truly feel like God created me to be a fisherman. Um, for me to be out there, and see all the wonderful things, you know, the beauty that we have to get the fresh, clean air in my lungs, whether it be, you know, 10 degrees outside or, you know, 80 or 90 degrees in the summer. It's just nice to be out there. And I think David brings up a good point. It doesn't matter for me as a fisherman, 
as much. Like if it's hard water, open water, I prefer open water because I like the warmer weather. But mm-hmm. for me, just getting away from everything for a little bit, taking that time and doing that with my family, you know, I enjoy that too, taking the kids and taking my wife and just being outside. It just is extremely therapeutic especially in our day and age, I think it's a little bit different now for us just because we are exposed to screens constantly and we're indoors a lot more. The fact that when you do get outside, it's just, it's just an amazing feeling for everybody. You know, whether it be the vitamin D that you get in the sunshine or even at night where you just get that quiet and that still and that calm, you know, you, you, you're not looking at notifications on your phone. You're not worried about what's going on in the next room. You know, you're just worried about where you're at right then and there with that fish, trying to find that presentation that works. And so for me, I think that's that's probably the biggest thing. And one of the, one of the things that I've been thinking about just, you know, since we talked, Lance, about this subject is, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten to a place as a society where we spend a lot more time in a sterile environment. We're always, you know, making sure our hands are clean. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. We're staying indoors protected. And when you get outside and you really spend that time in the dirt, you know, um, in the water doing these different activities, I think it makes a huge difference for your mental health and your physical health. Um, I was reading an article on, you know, the microbials that you get from the dirt and how healthy those are for you. And, And they, they affect your body. And it's like, man, we've kind of got this backwards. We need to be getting out more into the outdoors and stop being indoors so much. Right, absolutely. You know, both of you have talked about being in the moment. And I, I think whether it's archery, whether it's fishing, whether it's, it's hunting, whether it's shed hunting, whatever it might be, is that when you find yourself kind of forgetting everything else and being just doing what you're there for, that ends up being the therapeutic aspect, I think, of anything, whether it's hunting, fishing, anything, is that you're really searching for that opportunity to really be in the moment. Mm-hmm. I read a you know study report here recently about screens, right, and relative to sleep studies and relationships, and you know people really we, we are not wired to be having this screen and, you know, checking it. And I've, I've noticed even in my own personal life with my business and trying to keep things up, you know, as far as that day-to-day grind of, hey, I'm going to check the screen first thing in the morning, check the screen last thing at night, get the quick answer this email, quick do this. All of a sudden when I get to go on one night, two night, maybe it's 10 night camping trip, right? You'll never have a better night's sleep, you know, than out on the dirt after a, you know, I did a, a 60 miler backpacking trip in the scouts when I was a young man. And like Patrick talked about, we got up and just looked at the stars, camped on a couple lakes. And, you know, it, the, the next morning, the, the quality of sleep I got because a, I was just exhausted. exhausted yeah. And when you put your head on that pillow, it's not like, Oh, I'm going to check this or toss and turn through the night. No, it's, I was out. You're done. Right. And right. then the food, you know, I could cook that same food at my house over the stove and you'd kind of be like, man, can, can we go into town and get something to eat? That wasn't very good when you're up there. And I don't know if it's whether <laughs> the mountain air changes the taste. I don't know if it's the fact that there's nothing else around, you're Exhausted, or you're exa- <laughs> but you're like, oh, this is just delicious. And you eat this food and it's just the whole experience, you know, really sets, sets you apart from the, the world of 
the screens and cold, wet, hungry, tired people are, are not nice people, <laughs> right? But I would say I'm having a better time if I've had a little bit of, had it a little rough, right, for the mm-hmm. day, had to at least just go pump your water for the day. I mean, that's right. something society's lost is we just walk to the tap and turn on a glass of water. When you're backpacking, and, you know, I've, Patrick and I have talked about this on our podcast, more than once I've ran out of water. And I'm I'm setting up my gear so I quit doing that, but it, there's nothing as motivating as, you know, it's <laughs> 2 o'clock in the morning, you've got elk quarters on your back, You've gone all day. You started at 5 a.m. It's now 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, we're... Right. You're almost into 24 hours. And you're out of water. It's like, okay, we're now bordering on insanity. Right. But I look back at that experience and, you know, every smell, every sound, every... You just... Your senses are heightened to a point where, you know, it, it... You unplug to to find yourself. You really do. Sure, sure. The other... There is one other piece to this too that often gets overlooked. So whether you're a fisherman, a hunter, a hiker, a climber, nobody goes out and does those activities that doesn't have some kind of a goal. Like I don't know of any, but most people that I know that take it very seriously, like they are, they have a goal in mind. So like when I go fishing, I know what I want to catch. Like I know what species I want to catch. I know kind of what I'm aiming for. I have goals just like you do in September. You're going for elk. You know what you want to do that season, and you're focused on that. And I think that's another part of the mental health aspect that's good for people is sometimes you have folks that are depressed and they don't really have a goal. They don't have a passion that that drives them. Whereas, you know, with us and our outdoor activities, that's a big part of it. That's Mm -hmm. a big part of our driving passion is we want to go out and do X event, you know, or do catch this fish or, you know, hunt that animal. So that drives us. And it gives us something to really shoot for and aim for, you know, and I think that that's healthy for people because some, some people out there, they're just kind of floating and well, they, they don't really have that. People have a, a, a mental physical wall, right? And what I've noticed personally myself is that wall that, that mentally says, Hey, you can't go any further. You're exhausted. That comes up at about 40% of my true capability, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if you can just persevere a little bit and push yourself beyond that comfort zone and say, you know, I'm going to go 500 yards further or I'm going to fish for 15 more minutes or I'm going to, you know, whatever it may be, maybe I'm going to climb this cliff and I'm just going to get there. But if if people would just, you know, push past that comfort barrier a little bit, you'll all of a sudden expand into this. You have 60% more left to give. Exactly. And I, I haven't ever got to 100, right? But so I've been at 80 once or twice, and it's it's mind-opening and just spiritually enlightening where you go, wow, I can do this. Right, exactly. So, you know, kind of going along that line, I'm curious if either of you have any specific hunting or fishing experiences or events that you came away from, especially kind of either pumped up or zen like it was you talk about the 80 percent you talk you know about being perfectly in that moment like what is that like give me give us some specific examples Patrick it looks like you've got one that immediately came to mind there's one that's easy for me um I've when I was growing up I always wanted to catch a muskie like and we have tiger muskies here in Wyoming so that was my big thing is I'm going to catch a tiger muskie and I'm going to catch a big one so there's this reservoir, um, 
it's up by Newcastle. It's called LAK. And there's some big ones in there. And I was in high school and I was like, I really want to get this marked off my list. And, and my dad and I took this trip and it's, it's one of those fish that when you see one coming at your lure, it, it's probably like the elk bugling next. It gets your heart rate up because it's a big fish. It looks like a log in the water. It looks like a little alligator coming up after right, your bait. Right. And I had one that was a mid 40 inch fish and he was coming up on my, on my lure. I had this shallow diving crankbait and I could see him coming because the water's crystal clear. So my adrenaline just shoots through the roof. I mean, sky high. And I saw his gills flare and his mouth open and I set the hook about half a second too early pulled the lure right out of his mouth. And I will tell you, I was so frustrated, so upset. Not only did that happen, but then the fish swam up next to the boat and just sat there and looked at me. And I mean, it was one of the most frustrating experiences I've had. It's kind of like when you miss in hunting kind of thing. It's like, dang it. I had that fish. It's a huge fish. This is exactly what I wanted. So I beat myself up a little bit over that, but I was super motivated too. I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get one. And it took me a little bit of time because I can't make those trips all the time. But when I did finally catch one, it was one of the coolest experiences. You know, I caught like a, a 30 inch. It was a little one, but boy, I'll tell you what, I was so excited that I caught that mu- tiger muskie. You know, it was like, I finally did it. And the sense of accomplishment that I had, because that trip I caught three, I think mm-hmm. on the, on the next trip that I went on, I caught three and it felt so good. Cause so why, why didn't you stop? Why didn't you stop fishing at that moment? I put, you pulled it. It did. Ex- it was not the excitement level was off the charts. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was one of the coolest things because, and I've had other experiences where you, you're fishing a top water and a muskie comes cruising up behind it really fast and you get this wake coming behind your lure. There's nothing like that, and it, it was just such an adrenaline rush and such an exciting thing. I talked about it for weeks. After missing that fish, about weeks, one out of frustration, I missed it, but second out of, I'm going to go get one. Right. But the experience of being out there, it was a beautiful day, you know, and just getting to see that fish come up on there and know that, you know, you are a part of something like that. It was just cool. Right. And now, you know, I, I, I like to still go after those because they're so much fun to catch. Right. David, what about you? Oh, I probably have a, a hundred examples that come to mind, but I mean, just on the fishing front, I've, I've actually, you know, I moved to Alaska for fishing. The hunting was part of it, but mm-hmm. you know, and I moved away from, from the Pacific Northwest and steelhead heaven, you know, and that's what we did is we chased steelhead and I've got a couple pictures in my teens of some 30 inch steelhead and I'm whether it be spinning fly rod, whether it be rifle or archery, I don't really discriminate on well i'm only a fly fisherman or i'm only archery you know i have a proclivity to lean towards and gravitate towards some of the more disciplined sports out there but by any means i'll i'll put a worm on a hook and go catch a brookie that doesn't bother me you know i'll pick up a rifle and go drop an antelope doe and make some jerky that that doesn't bother me you know but i can think of there was one we we pulled a lot of plugs behind the drift boat, fishing steelhead on drift boat only non motorized rivers, mm. and just just beautiful rivers. I mean, in in July in Oregon, floating some of those crystal clear streams. It's it's sunny, it's warm. The ospreys are fishing with you. It's it's a cool experience to get to spend a day on a drift boat. Now 
spending five, six days every day all summer, I, I'm ready to do something different. So I started taking my uh, fly rod, and I had a, a four-weight fly rod. My dad and I had started actually making our own fly rods, and there was a Glen Wicks was a fly rod blank seller there in Oregon, and we'd go down. He had this big barn full of it, and I, dad and I had made this rod, and I remember I put on, I can't quite remember the size of the woolly bugger, but it was a, a medium-sized woolly bugger. And we were right at the mouth of the ripple of a rapid. And I just, I was bored with plugging. I reeled it up and I was whipping that out just to do something. And mm-hmm. I caught about a 20, 22-inch steelhead. It's a small steelhead, but on a, a, four-weight. a four-weight rod, it was a <laughs> yeah. fight, man. <laughs> uh, and then in Alaska, we've done some really cool fishing adventures and trips. And I, I enjoy the fishing. I mean, one day they bumped the limit up. We were their residents. And there's a picture with... There was three couples. My wife and I were one of the couples, and we all limited in about an hour and a half. There was a lot of a lot of fish. We filleted for quite a while, and I packed like a fifty pound backpack of fish out of there. Right? Wow! And that the sense of accomplishment when you go and actually do something like that, and you see that picture. All the women are trying to hold up the stringers. I think it's. I think it was. Uh, they'd upped it to six, so you know there was three stringers of twelve fish. So wow. there's a lot of fish, and it was the peak of a run, but. The one that sticks out probably the biggest in my mind was my doll sheep trip, my one and only claim to fame. And we uh, we had to sleep in a rock cave after day five or six. Our spike camp, as close as we could get to the sheep, was about a three, four-hour hike to where they were every day. And by the time we got there, they were out in their little big feeding flat, and we couldn't get any closer than eight, 900 yards to 40 sheep. Mm-hmm. And we did that day after day after day and hiked back. And I told the guys I was with, I said, we'd already taken one rest day. We'd already harvested one sheep. And it was just, I mean, if you haven't been in that country, we were in the northern Brooks Range in Alaska. And the shale is the size of car hoods. You step on it and it slides down. Lower than that, you're in this muskeg country, which is, you know, the even you get on a moose trail and everybody thinks, oh, deer elk trail, you can buzz along, right? No, moose trails are just one hole and then about four feet away. No, you can't stride. or right. And so you fight to get above brush line and then you get on the shale, which is just, it's a little hairy. And we found the fl- last flat spot to kick the sheep turds out of the spots and set up our one-man tents. My brother slept in the vestibule of my tent. But this particular night, I was tired of making the you know, six hour round trip hike to watch sheep eat all day and turn around and go back. Well, we can sit here till dark or we can get back before dark. And right. so we found this little cave and I mean, it, it's the size of a kitchen table and us three guys cozied up underneath it. And we had a horrible night. The wind picked up to 30 and it dropped below freezing. My water froze in my backpack. We split a Snickers, one package of trails mix and one mountain house <laughs> between three guys but the next morning at seven thirty eight o'clock, we dropped two rams. Yeah, right? we were there. You were, we were there. there. We yeah. were in the right spot, and yeah. we got it. We we got maneuvered on them and had to, you know, the the fog rolled in and we ran across this open face and we kind of had to stop because the fog disappeared and all the sheep were maybe six hundred yards below us, looking up at us like they could hear something. But we waited. There's one little more puff of fog cloud came. We ran the rest of the way around the hill and got to where they had to graze up underneath us and. We got our sheep, and I have a picture of my brother standing back-to-back with me, and we each have our full coral rams in our backpacks. And that was that hike out that evening. We were about seven miles from where we got the sheep to where our spike camp was. 
and it was it was all the gas I had because every step is like I said it's not here in 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 the lower 48 you know I say seven miles and guys are like oh that's not a big deal right you can cover that in a couple hours well up there where you take two steps forward and slide one step back right. and you got hiking poles and there's no there's no trails except right on the on the spine of the ridge there's a little sheep trail and sometimes it's a drop off to no-no land on both sides right once you go there and, and come back and you're successful the the level of pride you have and just you know i know i can do hard things now whether it's sit through a meeting or have a difficult discussion none of it's going to be as hard as spending the night in a cave sure Getting up, killing, sharing. I mean, for breakfast, I don't even know what we had. I've got a picture of those guys. We'd, we'd collected some willows, but they were uh, above me. And I was getting, we are kind of making a false wall on the front of the cave to sleep in. <laughs> They're up there picking blueberries like bears. Just the blueberry bushes are about two inches tall. Right. But your butt is purple because everywhere you sit down, you're, I mean, every bush has like 10 or 20 little berries on it. And, you, and the bushes are so close together, you can't not sit on a blueberry right. bush. Right. So they were eating blueberries and it was, it's just a night, you know, it's just a trip that, and I think Stephen Ranella talks about it this way. There's, there's levels of fun, right? So if we go on a roller coaster ride tomorrow in 10 years, we're not going to talk about, Hey man, how epic was that roller coaster ride? Yeah. While you're doing it, it's fun, right? Mm-hmm. But it's cheap fun. Mm-hmm. I think the highest levels of fun are actually not fun while you're doing it. Right. But then That's when you look back on them. Oh, this sheep hunt was years ago, and I'm looking back going, mm-hmm. sign me up for another round of that. Right, right. Even as as overwhelmingly challenging as it was, that's part of it. I mean, that's really part of the challenge for yourself. Granted, you were younger. Maybe you had that ability, physical ability more so, but it really is whether it's, I, I think as I'm hearing you talk about it, it's whether it's hunting, whether it's fishing, is there's certainly an experience component there's a goal component and achieving that goal, but even in the not achieving the goal, there is a challenge to stay on the goal and to keep achieving the goal. I, I think of... And reassessing, if you don't achieve the goal, instead of just being, I mean, yeah, sometimes when the sheep gets away or the fish gets away, yep. you know, and it transitions even into when I've done some horse training and dog training, you know, for upland retrieving or whatever, you know, even if you don't quite make the goal today, getting to sit back and analyze, okay... Why didn't I achieve it? What yeah. went wrong? What do I need to change to do better next time? Yeah. That that whole mental process is really healthy. No, that's a perfect I, I think that's a perfect example of 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 analyzing. It's you don't just set a goal, go for it, get it. You don't there's always opportunities to gauge yourself along the way, whether it's you're not kept using the right fly, the right plug, the right ammunition, the right call, the right tree. So the there's right a whatever. statistic out there that says that uh, 80% of the game, and I've heard it as high as 90% of the game, is harvested by either 20 or 10% of the sportsmen, right? And it's not that, you know, 90% of the fishermen suck and 10% are great. It's 10% really focus their craft and really analyze, well, why... Why is that guy standing across the river from me catching 30 fish and I'm here catching one? What is he doing different than me and willing to take those risks and challenge yourself? And, you know, that's why do you think I moved to Alaska? Right, exactly. So you bring up, and actually it's a perfect segue. It's a great, good job, segue. So mentoring. So I wanted to, to talk um, about mentors, whether 
um, professional mentors, you know, Wyoming has a mentor program, a hunting mentor program. I'm not sure about fishing. I know they've got one for hunting, but talk to me a little bit about your mentors and, and you being mentors of others and how that is kind of a mentally healthy thing. What have you gained from being or, or being a mentor or being mentored? Patrick, why don't you start? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> fishing for me, my dad was my first one, uh, just kind of showing me the ropes, the basics. Um, I was blessed to have Danny Curtola, who's a really, really great fisherman, just not well-known because he doesn't want to be well-known, but he's getting a shout-out here. But he's a local yeah. guy here, but he's got over 800 muskies in his career and pike slam, bass slam, He's done everything, wine class, world records. He's he's done it all. So having uh, somebody like that who was willing to take the time to fish with me, to take the time to show me the techniques, to show me some of the knots and some of the, some of the things that he did were, that were non-traditional to other people but worked really well, um, I think that that was huge for me as a kid because he was willing to write me letters, you know, back in the day when you wrote letters, um, but we would write letters. He would, you know, sometimes send me, uh, you know, what color pattern was working for, you know, whatever fish and just kind of give me tips and tricks. And then when I made it up here, you know, we spent a lot more time fishing together, which was helpful. Um, but you know, th those kind of things are big. And then like for me now, you know, kind of changing gears now I'm that to my kids. And so I've got, you know, my oldest daughter, she, she has been casting a, you know, with one of those, you know, old Mickey Mouse or Snoopy or yeah. Mickey Mouse pole. She, oh, she yeah. was casting a little plastic fish at two years old. So <clears throat> now she can outcast me sometimes. I mean, she's, she's pretty good. Um, but she's learning. She wants to go. She wants to catch fish. She's caught a lot of different species already more than I had at her age. Um, and then Katie, she's already won a fishing tournament, kids fishing tournament. So that's my second oldest, you know, so just, it's, it's definitely a transition for me because I'm, I'm learning that I'm not perfect. So sometimes I get frustrated over stupid crap and I have to reel myself in, but you know, and, and learning how to teach kids and understand that tangles are going to happen and things are going to go poorly. Sometimes, sometimes people are going to get cold and wet and we're not going to get all the fishing done that we wanted to get done. Right. But it's it's taught me a lot, and I'm still learning. Trust me, I'm still learning. Um, you know, I have I have the kid that will sit there for hours in the cold and not care. That's Faith, my youngest daughter. And then I have my son who will fish for like one minute, and if he doesn't catch anything, he's who knows where, you know, because he just is a wild guy. So, um, but I think it is important that, like, whether you're talking about an organization like Cast for Kids, which is kind of a national organization for fishing, but you have to get youth involved and you have to get other people involved, your friends. And I I've mentored a friend of mine in fishing and you know, he, he wouldn't be fishing if it weren't for time that we spent together. Um, and now he's teaching his kids how to fish. So if we want our sports to live on and if we want to still have that experience available for others to go and recreate and do the things that we love, whether it be fishing or hunting, we have to step forward and be a mentor to somebody. And so I would encourage anybody who's listening, if you're good at the outdoors, do it because there are a lot of people that they need something like that in their lives. They need something that gives them a goal, a purpose, uh, 
you know, the relaxation, the meditation, the, you know, I'll spend time at night fishing and I'll pray for like an hour straight just because I have quiet finally, you know, and I I get that time and I feel so much better the next day because I got that time. And so, yeah, if you can get somebody out there, you can mentor them um, and get them outside. That's, that's a huge deal. David, what about you? I'll give a shout out to Mr. Kendall Wood. I was uh, 15 and he said, you get a bow, I'll take you to the uh, family ranch and go bow hunting, right? And we went for seven days. I I came home with no animals and no arrows and I was hooked for life, right? I told, I got home, I said, dad, you got to get a bow and we got to go do this, right? And I think, you know, that state in particular really breeds a lot of hardcore bow hunters because you can hunt maybe 20% of the state on a general elk tag for a rifle. You can hunt like 80% of the state on a general elk tag for archery, but you have to pick one or the other. Whereas here in this state, we're, we're lucky enough that I can go do both on the same tag in the same area. So, but having that mentor to, to say, Hey, and we still to this day, you know, plan hunts and plan fishing trips and spend time together with as families and, I, I just, that key. And at that age for me, I was, I was the wild child. I was, <laughs> I was going everywhere. Right. But my dad would tell me something a hundred times. Hey, you don't need to do that. You're going to get in trouble. Right. In one ear and out the other, whatever you old man, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. But my mentor, especially if we were gone on a bow hunt or doing some, some one-on-one time would say, Hey, you know, you really, you ought to avoid that pitfall. You, you're really kind of screwing up right there. And here's why. Now I all of a sudden listened, right? And oh. it, would, it would frustrate my dad to no end because he's been pounding on me for months, sure, the same sure. advice. But it comes wrapped from somebody, not that, you know, we don't respect our parents, but it sometimes gets a little repetitive hearing over oh, yeah. and over from age zero to on up. It's like, you know, yeah, I've heard that. Okay, whatever. You're a little stick in the mud. Let's let's try life a little different. So, you know, thankfully I got got through those teenage years. And but as far as mentorship, I mean, it's it's probably the the thing we suck at most as hunters mm-hmm. because I don't want to share my spots. Right? I'll share my info. I'll share it with anybody. You ask, I'll tell you what I think of this piece of tech or what I think about that. Or, you know, I'm willing and open to share. But there's also this little bit of reservation that I don't want to go back to my spots that I've worked really hard to try and find and have a hundred other people there. Right. Right. Well, and I wonder too, if, if it's maybe an age related thing, the older you get, the more likely you are to not care about the spots. Like you've, you've hunted and fished those spots to a point where like, I've got it down. Like I've, I've hit my goals. I've caught my fish. I've arrowed my elk i've noticed this even bigger is you know you you take a teenage guy and he's just gotta gotta harvest everything in the woods right Mm -hmm. you get a few harvests under your belt and i've noticed the transition you know and it's really the most interesting with bears right a lot of people are either pro or against bear hunting but when i wanted to harvest a bear that was the pinnacle of the hey i've gone out and done this it's Mm -hmm. kind of the manly bravado i need to do this and as we move forward. I still, I mean, bear meat's good. It's good to eat, but unless, I mean, I've harvested a few and unless it's a unique size or unique color, I'm just as 
apt to watch the bear and photograph the bear. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we still run a bear bait and I like to like to see what's on the camera and like to see the bears in the area. And sometimes we're seeing bears from repeat years where, oh, that's that same, you know, bear with this color or that color, this sure. corn ear. But, you know, I see the trans, the, the progression of the bear hunter from I've got to shoot every bear in the woods to they pretty much pack a camera and no, I just want to take pictures, close up life pictures of these sure. u- uniquely, I mean, just majestic creature. You, when you're 50 yards or 30 yards from a bear eating on a barrel and he doesn't know you're there, it, your eyes almost, your brain's like, cause they're so quiet. And I mean, a, a squirrel makes so much noise. You think an elephant's in the woods, right? right. And a bear comes in walking on the trail you walked and comes up the barrel and you have to do like a double or a triple take. Is that, are my eyes, cause they don't make a sound right. until they start moving that barrel around. It's, they're quiet and they're right. a cool critter, but it, I mean, that transgression I've, or that, that progression, I've seen it with me archery elk hunting before when an elk bugled, I'd leave you two in the dust and be like, Hey, I'm going to kill that bull and I'll come back and find you later. And my brother and dad would, would attest to that. They kind of get mad at me because there's an elk. It was game on and forget you guys. Right? right. If you can't keep up tough. Right. Right. This last year I spent nine days of archery season, just calling for my brother and watched him, uh, I'm going to throw him under the bus a little bit, have more than one miss, right? right? Right. And a couple of them were at like 15, 16 yards. And and uh, I'll caveat this with, he's shooting like a two-inch group at 60 yards with broadheads, right? Uh, at camp where we're calm and yeah. he gets a horse running up to him, he's going to stick a horn in him and he just falls apart and starts shaking. And he, he the one time I'm like, well, what happened? Because I, I watched it clear as day. This bull came on a string, came right to him. He was 30 yards in front of me and I could see this bull had to be standing on him. I mean, it had to be. He had horns sticking out either side of him. I could see the elk's nose over his head and I see him draw his bow and his bow shaking just violently like a leaf in a windstorm and he missed that bull. And I kind of asked him what happened, and he turns to me and goes, well, you just don't understand. I'm like, no, I do understand. That's why I do this. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. Fun. So what else have you done outside besides hunting and fishing that you've, I guess, found to be helpful for your mental health? Something else, that, other activities that you can correlate? Yeah, I would say the easiest one for us is go up to Sinks Canyon, Fitzpatrick Wilderness, somewhere like that, and just take a day day putt day hike with the kids, pack a lunch. You know, when we lived in Cheyenne, we would go to go up to Vitavu, um, snowies, you know, things like that. I mean, it's, there's, there's so many places anywhere in this country, really, that you can get out and walk a trail, experience some sunshine, get a little exercise, smell the fresh air. Probably my favorite is going up into the woods where you have the, the smell of the pine and the sage both and feeling that light breeze and, you know, getting a good workout in, but also walking with the kids, talking to them about the different bugs that you find on the trail, the different plants, the different tracks, scat, whatever it is, but, you know, helping them experience it and see it. And then, you know, enjoying a nice little picnic together and just being away again from all the distractions and all the stuff that tends to kind of put us in a funk, you know, with the screens and stresses of life. So, you know, if someone's not willing to go fishing or hunting, I say, go, go find some good trail shoes and go, go on a hike, you know, get a, get enough water and food and, you know, go on a hike and check out the area. And it's always more fun for me when you have a group of three to five people, 
because you get to visit, you get to tell stories, you get to talk about what's what's in the area. Yep. It's just so much more fun. Yeah, what you see, what you, you mentioned, whether it's bugs, whether it's trees, whether it's flowers, you know, just anything, out, any yeah. of those things. Yeah. David, what about you? Yeah, I, I raced dirt bikes for a while, right? Before that was BMX, but I graduated into snowboarding, and I never raced anything. I just really got into that, and that turned into wakeboarding because I just... And all those sports, I mean, I really enjoy all of them, to be honest with you. Downhill snowboarding is it's a lot of fun. Mm. It's a, when I, I gravitate towards a little more of the adrenaline sports. I just do. Right. Wakeboarding is a lot of fun. Solemn skiing is a lot of fun. And especially in August, it's hot around here. And I might be doing thinking about a little bit of antelope hunting, but I'm really thinking about Friday or even Thursday or Wednesday after work. Let's, let's take the boat out. And we got some lakes right here close that... We can do that for a half hour, hour. And even if you don't want to get into power sports and that, just going and sitting by one of these lakes, having a small campfire with hot dogs and marshmallows. Right. I mean, anybody with a car can go to Smith's, pick up <laughs> some hot dogs and marshmallows, drive to the shore of any lake, start you a small fire and cook a hot dog and a marshmallow and watch the sunset. And that's a complete trip. Right. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. But the one that... The, the big goal that a bunch of people told me to quit and not do is I, uh, I purchased a 1938 Chevy pickup in high school and pulled it out of the weeds, and it took me 10 years, right? I painted it. I wired it. We, we dropped a new engine and transmission in it and all new suspension, and that was the fabrication part of my brain got to be really be mm-hmm. utilized. And, you know, I don't enjoy driving it as much as I enjoyed building it, but back to the mentors... I can remember a, a gentleman who was really avid in a local hot rod club, and he would bring me magazines and talk about, you know, the the one big takeaway from that mentor was I was trying to put 50 nostalgia parts and street strip drag race parts on the same truck. He's like, no, you got to pick a theme. You can go 50s nostalgia, mm-hmm. but the whole project needs to mm-hmm. envelop that theme. If you mix and match, you end up with the platypus, and you, everybody stands around and goes, well, what is it? Right, right. right. And so that was that was neat to have that mentor who had built multiple, multiple, you know, prize-winning Barrett-Jackson cars come over and say, have you thought about this? Have you done that? Because I hadn't, right? Right, right, right. So. Great. Well, I really want to thank you guys for joining me here today. I think it's been fun talking about hunting, fishing, the connection that, that you can make to a positive mental health. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I certainly it great. did. I have the great experience of, you know, talking the stories. You, I got to listen to your stories maybe at some point. I will be able to come to your podcast and we can talk about my experiences and I can talk a little bit more and not just kind of run that run the thing. So sounds good. Yeah. So as my listeners know, I always end my podcast with a challenge on actions you can take based on what we have talked about. So this week, here is my challenge. Have you ever wanted to fish or hunt, but you just didn't know how to start? Contact your local game and fish department. Sign up for any emails that they send out. Go to meetings in your community about seasons. Or if you are a hunter or fisherman or fisherwoman, seek out someone that you can mentor. Ask them to go with you when you head out. Teach them and bring them a new person or bring a new person into the fold. Let's all use the outdoors in the best way possible. Get out there and enjoy it.
So that's it for today. I want to thank you again for listening. And if you know someone struggling with their mental health, talk to them, listen with an open mind, and offer your support or call a professional. Remember, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And remember, let's all be positively mental out there.